The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. If you're interested in keeping your eye health top-notch throughout all of the stages of your life, this is the program to listen to right now. We'll discuss the latest treatments and technologies to help battle vision-related disease, as well as bring you tips and proven methods to keep you seeing well, now and as you age. Here is your host, Dr. Bob Rothbard. Good afternoon. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Health and Wellness Channel. Today, we have an optometrist with us, and we're going to learn a lot today. Dr. Ida Chung is an associate professor at Western University College of Optometry. How are you, Dr. Chung? Hi, Dr. Bob. I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. And thank you for appearing on the show. It's really great. Uh, I know we're going to learn a lot, and a lot of this I have a somewhat of, of knowledge of, so I'm really excited to learn some more information Terrific. Uh, Dr. Chung, you're president also of a group called COBD, which is the College of Optometrists in Vision Development. Could you and describe that group and what the optometrists who are involved with that are all about? Yes. So COBD, or the College of Optometrists in Vision Development, we're actually a group of diverse individuals. We have optometrists, we have optometric vision therapists, and we have vision scientists all working together really to promote vision development and vision therapy. So we have doctors that do developmental, developmental examinations, and we have vision therapists that work with these doctors um, to provide vision therapy services. Uh, doctor, can you describe uh, what you mean by vision development? Yes. So vision development. So people think that when a child is born that they see well, they focus well, which could be true. A lot of development happens uh, first few months after birth where when the child looks around and does things with the environment, the vision actually develops. And so when we say vision development, what we're saying is that the eyes are not always born a certain way, that we can affect a change in terms of how someone sees and how someone uses their eyes. So we can affect changes in vision development. You know, that brings into a very good question. As a parent, when should they bring their child in for the first uh, vision exam? And if you can describe some of what's going on with that vision examination at, a young, at that particular age. Okay, sure. So what I'm going to say is probably going to be a surprise to many of the listeners today. I believe so. And the first mm-hmm. eye examination that we recommend is actually before the first birthday. So what I'm saying is that all babies should get their first eye examination before 12 months of age. And people are surprised at that because they say, well, my baby can't talk yet, at least not answer your questions during your eye examination. So um, how can you do that? So we have the technologies now 
to examine a baby for all the different aspects of eye and vision development that we do in an adult. So the reason why we want an infant to have an eye exam before 12 months is because so many things are well-developed shortly after birth. So, for example, by six months, we know that the eye should be straight. There shouldn't be any type of eye turning in out, up or down, notice at all. We know that by six months, um, the two eyes are working, should be working well together, uh, what we call deaf perception or 3D perception. Babies can actually see that by six months. We know that babies can focus really well even days after birth, so certainly by six months of age, the focusing mechanism is very active already um, in these children. And, of course, if a child is born with some of these conditions, either eye diseases um, or um, problems with development of the eye that causes them to, for example, not see well, um, the examination early on can detect these problems and correct for them before the child has negative consequences, for example, like lazy eye. So we can prevent the development of lazy eye with early examination. So you may be asking how we test the baby. We Mm -hmm. have ways to test how they see. So we don't ask them if they can see an eye chart. We, We have a way to look at fixation preference to see if they're able to resolve uh, in this case, the test that we use is called forced choice preferential looking cards where there's um, objects or shapes on one side and none on the other. So, for example, we'll use for the six-month-old cards that have black and white stripes on one side and the other side is a gray field. So if the baby can resolve the black and white stripes, they will prefer to look there. Mm-hmm. And that's how the doctor determines if the child's vision development is appropriate for the age. So that's one example of how we test their visual acuities, how well they see. And we have other ways to test to make sure their eyes are aligned, that they're focusing well, and that their eyes are tracking well, and to see if there's any problems at the front of the eyes or the back of the eyes, for example, like cataracts or problems with their retina, to give so you the, examples. So a child can have a cataract? Yes, it's rare, but it's devastating to vision development. So sometimes um, the larger ones are more easy to pick up, and parents sometimes look into their baby's eyes and see what we call white reflex. So normally when you look into Mm -hmm. the center of the baby's eyes, you shine light into it, it should give you back a pink or reddish appearance. In the case of a cataract, they'll see more of a white appearance. Now, that's only for very severe cases. Right. A child can have a smaller cataract that's not as obvious when someone just looks at the baby without certain equipment um, that would be present in a comprehensive eye examination. So if a child does have a cataract, it's so important to remove that cataract as early as possible in order to allow the eye to develop normally. I believe years and years, and I'm talking about before probably you or I were born, especially me, I'm a little bit older than you, quite a bit in fact, Uh, there was a book, I believe, How to Develop Your Child's Intelligence, and I think it was written by an optometrist, and I'm not mistaken, it was Dr. Jerry Getman, but, uh, you know, some parents are really saying, what can I do for my child? What can I make him or her do to make them a better performer later on in life? Is there any type of training in general, if there isn't any problem, that you can uh, coach a parent to do with their child? 
I'm sure. Um, you know, the concept behind that book is to say that a child is not born with everything that they need to know. So the intelligence can be changed. Well, I would argue that because so much of what a child learns the first few years of life is, you know, not only in school, but also the general environment, they take in so much visually that if the visual system is not working for that child, I believe that's going to inhibit their development for um, not only their vision development, but their uh, motor development, whether or not they crawl on time, their speech development, whether or not they speak, and their whole body system in terms of integrating the sensory system. So we had cases where a child had this poor vision, and because what this child was seeing was so poor, uh, this child was mistaken to be um, intellectually impaired because this child wasn't in- interacting with his environment. He was, he was delayed in speech. He wasn't doing the normal crawling or walking mm-hmm. on time. And um, now we, I've had patients where once we found that it was a vision problem, and wow. in this case, the child was corrected with glasses. This child started smiling, and <laughs> there was rapid notice of improvement in this child's social skills because they actually can see who it is that they're interacting with, and this child ended up speaking more because they, had, they were more in tune in terms of what's happening in the world around them, and this child was more interactive with this space. So the gross motor skills and the fine motor skills rapidly increased after correcting for this vision problem. Yeah, and I know many of the optometrists who practice in this way actually work with the gross motor and fine motor skills in addition to the vision skills, which is really great. I want to go into uh, basically for the uh, individual in the first time in examination, what is a comprehensive eye examination? Okay, that's an excellent question, Dr. Bob, because um, often children get vision screenings, and when I see children for the first time for their um, comprehensive eye examination, I would ask the parent, so when was your your child's last eye exam? And they'll say, you know, a a month ago um, they received a screening at the pediatrician's office, or a month ago when they had a vision screening at the school. And the difference is that a comprehensive eye examination doesn't just look at how well a child sees, what we call uh, visual acuity. That's usually the only thing that's tested at a vision screening. Mm-hmm. That's when they ask a child to look at the chart and say, okay, what's the lowest line of letters you can see? And there's a measurement that we often write as a Snellen equivalent. That measures how well the person can resolve a letter at a certain distance. But it doesn't cover all the other skills that are important for learning. And some of these skills include whether or not the child can shift their focus for back and forth while they're copying, looking far, looking close doesn't tell us anything about how well the child uses the two eyes together, eye teaming, uh, what we call virgins, in terms of being able to shift and see single and clearly at all distances in terms of what they need to do. And it doesn't say anything in the screening in terms of what's going on with the eye movements. Can they look and track? Can they see from one word to another as they're learning to read or reading to learn? And so a compass eye examination not only looks at visual acuity, make sure to see how they see, not only looks at the eye health to make sure there's no eye diseases, but it also looks at eye teaming and eye coordination skills, so important for effective learning. 
Yeah, I have seen kids who have 20-20 vision and not doing really well. Sometimes it almost seems like an inverse correlation. Sometimes the worse mm. that snow and acuity is, it seems sometimes the better they're seeing. Not definitely an mm. inverse correlation, but there is no correlation between 20-20 and how well a kid performs in mm-hmm. school. As a parent, uh, what should they look for or ask their eye doctor to ensure that the right testing is being done to determine if a vision problem is interfering with their academic success or performance? So I think um, what's most important for parents is that when they bring their child for an eye exam is to ask the right questions about whether or not certain parts of their child's vision system is being evaluated. So they know that this child can see well, the eyes are free of eye diseases, so nothing bad would happen later on that can be prevented. And they can ask to make sure that the eyes are being checked for the visual function, including eye focusing, eye teaming, eye coordination, eye movements. These are the critical questions that parents can ask and say, were these areas tested so that I know whether or not my child may have a learning-related vision problem that's impairing their ability to do whatever they need to do at school, which often has a lot of visual input um, in terms of learning, especially the first uh, many years of um, their academic school years. And we know that is extremely important. We're coming up against break, Dr. Chung, but what I want to go over when we come back is how does a parent find an eye doctor to examine a child for possible vision-related learning problems? How do they know this doctor is qualified to do it and is interested in actually working with a child like this? Or if they're just basically interested in seeing that the uh, the child just sees 2020. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Health and Wellness check, uh, Channel. We will be back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. 
That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to Rancho Optometric at Verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. We're back with Dr. Ida Chung, Associate Professor at the Western University College of Optometry. As we left off uh, from the last segment, Dr. Chung, how does a parent find an eye doctor to examine a child for a possible vision-related learning problem? How do they know this doctor is uh, good in this field? And is, are there any things he can or she can look up uh, online or anything to help make that determination? Um, sure. So let me start off by um, just letting the listeners know there are the different types of um, eye care providers, and depending on what the needs are, I think um, certain ones can provide services that is tailored to what your child may need. So, for example, we have opticians, optometrists, and ophthalmologists. So, opticians are really individuals specialized to um, make glasses um, in terms of spectacle wear that the child may need. Um, Ophthalmologists are more specialized in terms of um, eye diseases and particularly surgical treatment for eye diseases. And the doctors of optometry are uh, considered more primary care eye doctors. So if your child needs a comprehensive eye examination, it's important to ask if the doctor uh, provides those um, areas that we mentioned before the break um, in terms of getting evaluated um, the visual function uh, in addition to the visual acuity and the eye health evaluation. So we have doctors um, who specializes in vision therapy and vision development, and uh, the College of Optometrists and Vision Development has um, a website with a very simple doctor located based on zip code that you can go to, covd.org, that can help you um, put you in the right place in terms of getting you in touch with doctors that have specialty in this area of vision therapy and vision development. Wow, that's really important. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit, Doctor, and uh, the signs and symptoms to look for as a parent that may indicate that your child has a vision problem. Oh, that's an excellent question. So I would just start off by saying that children can have vision problems that perhaps are uh, observable or maybe obvious to people who are working with a child. and. Some children can have vision problems that actually have no symptoms at all, that you actually wow. don't know that a child may have a, an eye problem until they get a comprehensive eye examination. So let me start off more of the obvious ones. Perhaps the obvious ones are the ones where the child is complaining. They'll say, my eyes hurt, or their eyes look red, or someone sees an obvious eye turning outward or inward. It's just not looking right. Um, uh, those are maybe more obvious um, signs. Um, but the ones I want to focus on and mention is actually the ones that perhaps people don't think there might be an eye problem, um, and these are just children's behaviors, so they don't like to read. I think that's always a red flag, or they're not doing very well in school, and there's no reason to explain it because they seem pretty bright. Um, those two things, not liking to read and not working up to their potential in school, I think are really red flag in, in terms of saying, let's make sure that the eyes are working well and there's no vision problem. Sometimes children complain about headaches and people don't really think maybe it's the eyes, especially when the headaches occur after doing sustained reading or writing or, or near work, uh, including computer work, for example. Um, so those are more of the uh, hidden 
type of problems in terms of saying that this child uh, may have a vision problem. And probably one of them is looking how their posture is and their head tilt and how they look at something when they're actually reading. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have seen a couple of those. Uh, doctor, there's a word that comes about and it has such a description. Uh, first of all, the word astigmatism always comes up and everybody has mm-hmm. their own definition and especially parents are wondering and parents are wondering for themselves too. First of all, what is astigmatism and what are the signs that a child might have astigmatism? Oh, excellent question. So astigmatism sounds like an eye disease. Yeah, and most luckily, think it, is. it sounds really scary to parents when we sometimes find it and we tell parents. So astigmatism is an optical effect uh, due to the structure of the eye where the child doesn't see well. And astigmatism can affect all distances. So it affects distance vision, near vision, and intermediate vision. So astigmatism, uh, in simple terms, means that part of the eye is nearsighted. So nearsighted means that the child may have some difficulty seeing at certain distances, particularly far. So what causes astigmatism? So astigmatism is caused by the shape of the eye. So instead of having an exactly round part of the eye, the front part of the eye, which is called the cornea, um, children who are born with astigmatism uh, is more, I describe as football shaped. Uh, and therefore, when the light, light enters the eye, not everything the child is seeing is clear. So some things are clear and some things aren't. So astigmatism, luckily, is easily correctable by glasses or contact lenses. And usually after the age of five, the amount of astigmatism a child has doesn't really change. So again, it's something that they're um, typically born with. Is there a way or is, how does astigmatism possibly develop within a patient? I mean, some, are you born with it or can it develop by the environment or exactly how does it sometimes come about? Yeah, so probably the answer to that question is both. So we certainly know that um, many children are actually born with some astigmatism so that when we actually examine babies at, say, 12 months of age, we find that many of them may have astigmatism. Now, some of that astigmatism actually goes away. They grow out of it. So it's important that if a child has astigmatism, when you have them for their first eye exam before the age of one, if there is a significant amount, the doctor will advise the parent to say, let's have the child come back in a few mm-hmm. months and check on the development and see whether or not the astigmatism is going away or is it staying. So if it does stay, unfortunately, it does cause amblyopia or a lazy eye, so the eye is not developing proper vision and therefore should be corrected. Um, that's the type of stigmatism a child is born with. Um, there are possibilities where a child can look like they have some astigmatism and actually don't, and that is if they have poor control of their accommodations, so they're not focusing well. Then when they look at something, it goes in and out of focus. That can sometimes cause temporary uh, astigmatism. I call it temporary because it's really not there, but it's a sign of a vision problem. You can also get astigmatism if a child gets trauma to the eyes, either to the front or maybe uh, to the back of the eyes. That can also cause astigmatism. Um, And there's some rare disorder um, of the cornea, the front of the eye, that's called keratoconus, that can cause astigmatism later in life. But the majority of the astigmatism that we see in children are present actually at birth. Doctor, does rubbing the eye a lot create astigmatism? 
So I would say that uh, children who may have some vision problem, there's probably something wrong with the eye or vision for them to rub their eyes because, you know, other than being sleepy and tired, of course, uh, it's not a normal thing for a child to rub their eyes, particularly if they're doing something that is visually demanding and then, and then they rub their eyes. So rubbing the eyes probably causes a lot of different problems, but it doesn't cause any permanent stigmatism. Okay. Um, and we described the stigmatism. I'd like to also go into whether there are signs or symptoms where the child might be coming nearsighted or farsighted and what those terms actually are. Okay, sure. So let me define the terms and then we can talk about maybe some of the symptoms that can indicate the child may have either um, nearsightedness or farsightedness. So nearsightedness, um, the technical term is myopia. So a person who is nearsighted usually has difficulty seeing things far away. And usually up close things are clear. They hold things close enough, they're clear. That's nearsightedness. Um, Farsightedness is the opposite meaning that usually the child sees fine at distance but has more difficulty seeing clearly up close. Um, So those are two conditions. Again, many children are born with it, but it can change as they're developing. So what are some of the signs? Um, The nearsighted children probably has more obvious signs. Um, What I mean by that is they're having trouble seeing far away. Children usually do one of three things. Um, They squint. So by squinting the eyes, they see better at distance. Um, the second thing they may do actually is tilt their head downward, the chin downward. So again, it's an unusual head posture. Sometimes that helps them to see better. And the third thing they may do is actually turn their head either left or to the right because, again, that may help them to see better. So there's usually some type of squinting or unusual head posture to compensate for the nearsightedness. Now, farsightedness, I find, is harder to detect because these children often have good vision when they're tested mm-hmm. at distance. But so the signs are more hidden. You have to look more carefully. So children who are farsighted, in order for them to see clearly, they actually have to exert more effort in their eyes, more focusing power in order to see things clearly. And therefore, they may get tired. They don't want to do this on a regular basis for a sustained period of time. So these children who are farsighted may may not do well academically because they don't like to read. They don't want to do near work. They avoid those things, in fact, and sometimes may even act up in, in class because it's so difficult for them. They may complain about headaches because they're persevering, trying to focus their eyes and compensate and see well, but it's not comfortable for them. So headaches would be another uh, symptom. And... Doctor, what are the signs that vision is blocking or interfering with the learning? Uh, so if a child has um, vision problems, either they're born with it or they develop it later, um, the best way to know if they have one certainly is to get a comprehensive eye examination looking at focusing, looking at eye teaming. So children that don't have an uh, efficient visual system, either one, they don't see well, so they have trouble copying uh, things on the whiteboard. Um, they have trouble reading for a long period of time. They may actually lose their place when they're reading, or they don't remember uh, what they've just read because they're exerting so much effort in actual words and looking at them and really don't have a good comprehension of what they've read. So that could be another sign of a vision problem interfering with learning. Um, so visual acuity, not seeing well, 
and visual function, their eyes are not working well, either focusing or eye teaming or eye tracking, can all interfere with a child's ability to do well in, in academics uh, and even other things in their life like sports. If they don't have good vision, visual acuity, or they don't have good visual function, they may not be as good of a, uh, in sports as they could be. And I've seen that with my patients, too. Uh, the differences that we're able to make by showing, one, to actually show a parent that, hey, there is a vision problem, instead of having their child being so frustrated, says, what's wrong with me, is tremendous, just to identify the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we're going to be coming up, we're coming up against break right now. What I'm going to do when we come back is I'd like to ask you in a very extended way, about vision therapy, different studies that are out there, the efficacy of it, and how you've seen tremendous differences in the patients that you've worked with. Okay, you're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Health and Wellness Channel. We will be back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you or does somebody you know face an ongoing battle with addiction? Our nation's drug problem is getting worse as we spend billions on the judicial system. It's time to fight the demand for drugs and not the supply. Listen for I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen, who has experienced both IV heroin addiction and recovery and is now here to both help and educate you with his story and engaging guests. There are great resources available for recovery, and there is hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local Chambers of Commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to one 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. 
or you can send an email to Rancho Optometric at Verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. You're back here with Dr. Bob. I have as a guest today Dr. Ida Chung, Associate Professor at Western University College of Optometry. One of the uh, concepts, practices, that's been a long stay in optometry is uh, vision therapy. Uh, are there non-surgical treatments, Dr. Chung, for eyes that turn? Um, yes. So I'd like to just mention about vision therapy. So vision therapy is a treatment for certain eye conditions, and vision therapy um, has a lot of research that backs up the efficacy of vision therapy, uh, particularly for a condition called convergence insufficiency. So convergence insufficiency is when the eyes have difficulty, uh, both eyes looking at the same place when looking up close or converging or crossing the eyes a little bit. So we have a really... Um, a study that clearly showed the efficacy of vision therapy when performed in the doctor's office uh, compared to doing it at home. Um, so we know that vision therapy is a, uh, a treatment option. Uh, sometimes it could also be the treatment option for uh, people with strabismus. Strabismus meaning the eyes, the two eyes are not pointing in the same place so that the eyes can be either turned inward, turned outward, upward or downward, for example. And in some cases, surgery doesn't always correct for that, and vision therapy can. So vision therapy really is teaching the patient to use their brain to control the eye muscles so that the eyes can stay straight and also see well and function well together. One of the uh, best-known stories that's out there is actually Susan Barry. So Dr. Susan Barry is a neurobiologist. And her story is that she was born with an eye turn. She actually had three surgeries to correct for an eye turn. She was diagnosed with esotropia, meaning uh, one of her eyes turned inward. And mm-hmm. after three surgeries, she was told that that's all that could be done. So her eye, one of her eyes was still turned in, actually. So it wasn't until she was almost middle age that she happened to come across a, a developmental optometrist who evaluated her and said, do you know that you actually never, you've never seen 3D or you, you've really not truly ever had good stereopsis? She goes, yeah, I know that because I've been told there's nothing else I can do about it. Uh, so it turns out that she completed um, optometric vision therapy for her condition. And so she's written a book about this. Um, Dr. Barry's written a book and she's lectured around the country telling people that it's never too late to treat your eyes. Um, even though she was born with basically a lazy eye and she only used one eye more of the time than others, that she was actually able to achieve a good binocular function after all those years. Uh, wow. To how plastic the brain is in terms of, uh, and in the beginning of our, our conversation, you asked me about what vision development is. You can, you can affect the change in how your vision actually performs. And so her story is just truly amazing because she said that now that she has 3D vision stereopsis, she can tell everyone in the world that she missed out so much in her life that there is truly something to be gained by having 3D vision. So she writes about the first time she saw her um, uh, driver steering wheel that she said actually pops out at you. She didn't realize. She thought it was kind of flat. 
or she describes seeing the leaves on a tree and how different they look compared to things that are flat. So she's a great um, example of a person that had strabismus but, and had surgery um, and was helped functionally um, after doing optometric vision therapy. That's tremendous. You know, when I went back, when I was in school and well before then, they'd always talk about critical periods that if certain things aren't developed by the age of seven or eight years old, uh, mm-hmm. they'll never develop. And this goes right against that theory. Yep. Uh, the other one also is, how about individuals, Dr. Chung, who have a definite lazy eye? In other words, they've lived with the best correction possible, not due to disease of the eye. Let's clear that out of there. Uh, but their best vision, no matter what you've done from it, has been 2100, 2200. Uh, I, is it the sooner you deal with it, the better chance you have of actually correcting it? But in addition to this patient, have you seen amblyopes, the ones with this lazy eye, being able to get some of their vision back in either in their uh, adolescent years, 12, 13, or even older than that? Um, absolutely. We used to think that the, the vision development ended after a certain age and then um, it was too late to treat someone that unfortunately did not get their companies of eye examination, say, until eight years of age. And they're right. found to have good vision in one eye, say, 20-20, and the other eye 10 times worse, you know, 2200 vision, for example. Um, they, that used to be the predominant a message that parents were receiving and they had to live with it. And now we know that that's not the case. And in fact, um, we certainly have, um, I see many patients where I know that's not the case, but also we have um, adults who have um, brain injury. And after having brain injury, we were, we were able to recover through rehabilitation, uh, visual function. So we know that the visual system is still malleable and that it's really never too late to treat someone with amblyopia. The question is, is prevention the best treatment? Absolutely. So if you do an early eye examination, find a problem, and you treat it, you can actually prevent amblyopia. But once someone has amblyopia, we actually know that there are treatment uh, for that. Um, and this is one great case, um, a story I'd like to share with you because it's actually oh, a book do. that's been published um, it's called Jillian's Story, How Vision Therapy Changed My Daughter's Life. So it's written by the mother of Jillian, uh, Robin Benoit. And she's written this book, and she's written a second book to follow up on this because she was a parent that had a daughter, uh, you know, really born with a difference between the two eyes, and so she was diagnosed with amblyopia in one eye. So she was given glasses and told to wear a patch, like all day. And she wore a patch all day over one eye for years. And what happened was the mother was, was concerned because her daughter was having so much trouble in school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, her daughter didn't like wearing the patch. Um, she rather not wear the patch because when she had the patch on, she couldn't see well. But she's having a lot of academic difficulties. So she writes about this story because she finally finds an optometrist that was able to do a full assessment of her visual system, her daughter's visual system, and recommended optometric vision therapy. And she writes about how her whole life changed, her life and also her daughter's, because she did so much better in school. So amblyopia is not just a problem of not seeing well. It is, but there's more to it. The eye that's amblyopic has trouble focusing, 
and the two eyes don't always work together. And so the uh, vision therapy that Jillian received helped her to do better in school because now she was able to move her eyes accurately, focus accurately, and use her two eyes accurately. And that's what was important for her to do well in school. That's tremendous. Doctor, also, I've seen where sometimes vision problems can be misdiagnosed as autism spectrum disorder. Can you go into that with us? Okay, uh, sure. Um, Well, we know that the numbers from the um, the CDC is staggering in terms of the number of people being diagnosed, children being diagnosed with autism. So the latest number in the United States is 1 in 68 uh, individuals actually have a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. So we know that autism spectrum disorder is a, a neurobiological uh, problem and that these children have difficulty communicating um, what they feel or see, um, and they also have difficulties with social interaction. And so what, we find, what we're finding is that these children sometimes appear to have vision problems, and it's hard to know if it's a behavioral issue or if it's actually truly eye problem. So what are some of these visual uh, symptoms that we observe? Um, often children with um, autism have a lack of eye contact, so when they're looking at people, they don't look eye to eye. Um, they sometimes view things from the side. So if you show them something and say, okay, look at this object while I move it left and right or up and down, these children often turn their face to one side and they're kind of looking things peripherally. And they have difficulties attending visually. So the question becomes, if a child with autism has trouble tracking and they can't look directly at something, mm-hmm. is there something wrong with the eyes? Maybe they have cross eyes. Maybe they actually have poor vision and they're compensating for it. Um, and what we're finding is that sometimes children do have vision problems, which is why they're not uh, looking at tracking correctly, for example. And therefore, um, when these children have vision problems that are detected and treated, um, they don't seem to have as much of the behavioral observations that they have um, with the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. So the point here is that there are children who have autism, and it's so important to have a full vision examination for them in order to properly educate the parents and the people that are working with these uh, children whether or not there is a vision problem that can be corrected. Um, and when we correct it, you see that they have better visual attention, better eye control, better eye movement. Um, and it's also interesting in terms of a condition called exotropia. So this is a condition where the eyes turn outward. So far, what we're finding is that children of autism happen to have um, more um, uh, risk for exotropia or strabismus with the eyes turning outward. Mm-hmm. So there's much higher prevalence, like one out of five or maybe even one out of two some of these children, depending on the study, show they may have exotropia, whereas in the general population, the um, incidence of exotropia is probably less than one in 100 uh, children. So that's why it's so important for these children who are unable to communicate what's happening with their world and their visual system that they get evaluated for their visual function. You know, Doctor, we're going to briefly touch on this for the next minute and a half to two before break. Uh, how is the School of Optometry, doctors like yourself, individuals in COVD, 
getting this message out to teachers about what's out there, what's available. Okay. So let me um, answer that question. Um, so I'm here at the Western uh, University College of Optometry, and uh, we do a lot of public education. We actually go out into the public schools, talk to teachers, talk to parents, talk to educators, principals, because um, there is sometimes a lack of understanding um, that children that don't do well in school can really have a hidden vision problem that, when corrected, can really improve their reading level, their writing level, their math level tremendously. And as we mentioned earlier and during our conversations, it's not always so obvious which children may have a problem because they don't always have symptoms. So a compass of eye examination can help to, to detect that. And so we at the college certainly always uh, try to provide educational pieces, which is why I'm so uh, thrilled about being on your talk show today because I think there's this constant need for educating the public in terms of the relationship between having good, efficient visual skills and academic um, uh, performance. Um, we're also involved in some studies, certainly looking at the best treatment uh, for eye conditions and um, many other doctors uh, eye doctors around the country are also looking at this. Um, so we currently have a study that we are recruiting for, which is looking at the effects on reading and attention when a child actually has a, a problem with the eye teaming, what we call convergence insufficiency. So that's wow. a study that we're currently recruiting for, children ages 9 to 13. Um, and once we treat these children, we're following them in terms of the improvement in reading and attention. And I want to follow up on more of this after the break, Dr. Chung. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Health and Wellness Channel. We'll be back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. Yes, you're back with Dr. Bob, and my guest is Dr. Ida Chung. Dr. Chung, I'm sure most parents are concerned about it. Let's talk about the handheld devices that I see every one of my patients from the age of one and a half to two years old glaring at. What effect they're having on the eyes, what you could tell the parents about how long the kids should be on there. Let's discuss this with possibly the rest of the show. Okay. So I think it's staggering when I see the statistics about how much time our children um, are spending on uh, multimedia, I would call it. So it could be television, uh, it could be computers, it could be handheld devices now. And the latest statistics that I saw says that children are spending on average seven and a half hours a day. Wow. On this type of media. So we certainly have to be concerned that if a child is not seeing well or their eyes are not functioning well, that they're going to have some symptoms after doing uh, all this kind of near work usually. Um, so we used to call the computer vision syndrome. That's how it affects the vision mm-hmm. and how they do well. Uh, computer vision syndrome was before all these um, uh, other types of multimedia and people were just looking at computers. Uh, now it's called probably digital eye strain. So what that means is that these children who are probably using the eyes for many hours at a time without a break um, can now exacerbate any type of focusing or eye teaming issue that they may have had. Um, so we talked about earlier about farsightedness, for example, um, or hyperopia. And if this child has it and it has not been corrected by glasses, they have to exert a lot more effort just to keep things clear. Can you imagine doing that for seven and a half hours a day? This is in addition to any kind of homework that they have to do. So they can certainly complain about headaches or um, blurry vision, double vision, um, eye strain, eye fatigue. Um, these are the most common symptoms that we're finding um, if the eyes are not efficient in terms of their use when they're using these uh, devices. Um, and now we know that in, in many school curriculums, they actually have textbooks on iPads now. So even more and more related to schoolwork, related to academics, children are asked to use these devices. And um, studies have shown that sometimes uh, you, looking at these devices versus looking at print is actually more demanding on the visual system um, when you look at things that on a digital format versus on black and white print. There was a professor back, oh, about 30 years ago. He's at Pacific and he's at uh, Southern California College of Optometry, Dr. Charlie Margar, who went over the differences between, and this is back in the early 80s, looking at screens and actually looking at printed text and the way the eyes focus together. Mm -hmm. But if an individual, if a kid especially, is doing a lot of this close-up work, uh, there was always a studies years ago that extreme close-up work, can this cause the individual to have a better chance of becoming nearsighted. In other words, they adapt for that distance and they'd start to lose their distance vision. And uh, Any thoughts about that? Um, I think the answer is yes, because we know there's basically two theories in terms of myopia or nearsightedness progression or development, and that is that uh, it's genetic. So they're born with the genes 
either one or two of their parents have it, and so their their children are more likely to have, have uh, myopia. No matter what you do, it's genetic, and this child is destined to be nearsighted. We also know that some nearsightedness is is functional. Functional mm-hmm. meaning. It's the way they use the eyes in the environment and that the environment can actually affect the change in the, in the development of the eyes such that they actually can develop nearsightedness without the genes or that the environment changes the expression of the genes that the, a child may have. Um, so when I talk about the functional causes of myopia um, and why the eye will develop nearsightedness, it could be because the eyes are inefficient, so they're having trouble focusing up close and due to the sustained um, demands on the eyes that they have to see things up close for a long period of time and the eyes are not working well properly, um, this could cause the eyes to adapt um, and become nearsighted. And so they start having difficulty seeing far away, for example, uh, when they look up from doing something like, you know, two or three hours of near work and they look up and things are blurry. Um, that could certainly um, contribute to that. Wow. Doctor, do you ever counsel uh, parents about how long their kids should be on these uh, devices or whether they should be outside playing or <laughs> so forth? And, uh, because uh, this, they always yeah. ask the question, like, get my kid off this device. Would you just tell me something? Yeah. I mean, might- you know, certainly it's, um, uh, we have um, related to nearsightedness progression, uh, particularly we do have um, some evidence to show that perhaps encouraging children to spend more time outdoors uh, playing in, in the sun can actually decrease the progression um, of myopia development. Um, so there's some um, evidence to say this is the reason why, and certainly there's other things that I suggest my parents to do, uh, which certainly to limit the amount of time the child is spending on these devices because it means that they're not doing other things, right? Um, but at a minimum, I would I usually go over visual hygiene, Mm-hmm. Uh, with the parents, and that include um, a few things, usually three things when I talk about visual hygiene. Uh, one is taking rest breaks, eye breaks. So if, after every 20 minutes, uh, take a 20-second break. So we call it the 20-20 rule, just to relax and rest the eyes. Um, two, I talk about working distance. Um, so if it's at a desk, we talk about the optimal distance the eye should be from what they're reading, which is really from the elbow to the uh, middle knuckle of the middle finger. That's a, a good distance that we recommend for children in terms of working at a desk. And if they're working on a computer, for example, we talk about ergonomics and ensure that the station is set up properly to minimize visual fatigue, which is often setting your screen so that it's about 10 to 15 degrees below eye level, so they're not looking Mm -hmm. straight, but looking down a little bit. Uh, So those are some of the things that I like to go over with the parents uh, related to uh, children if and when they they have to or want to uh, do utilize these multimedia type of things. Wow, there's so much to talk about uh, with this because it's pervasive and I know a lot of times in my practice, too, we discuss reading glasses possibly, and you can't do that with everybody, but it's unbelievable. I get these kids in the exam room, and their brothers or sisters are just glued to the devices. Dr. Chung, I want to thank you very much for appearing on our show uh, this week. It was certainly informative, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Valrin for actually recommending you to appear on the show. It's very insightful. And I'm sure our audience out there uh, got a lot of great information from this. So we will be on, and I want to thank you. 
You have been listening to Dr. Bob on Vision Talk Radio on the Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great afternoon, very happy holiday, and a great new year. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. We'll be right back.